Hi, my name is Kibali Morethi and I am the host of Ari Diaries. Ari is Kiswahili for Initiative, Spirit and Drive. In the first series, we will be speaking to a number of amazing women who are the embodiment of the Ari spirit. This series is in celebration of International Women's Month, whose themes are Choose to Challenge and Women in Leadership, Achieving an Equal Future in a COVID-19 World. Karibu. Um, hi, my name is Kibali Morethi, and I want to welcome you to another episode of the podcast. And our guest today is Christine Odera. I said that correctly, right? Yes. So please introduce yourself. My name, like you rightfully mentioned, yeah. is Christine Achieng Odera. Uh-huh. And I am a daughter from the Western region of Kenya. Okay. Um, from Umias, to be specific. Yeah. And born and raised in Nairobi, um, lived in Narok and Masai Mara at some point. They're now working in uh, Kisumu and around the globe. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That's that's it. When you ask to introduce <laughs> yourself, that's it. Let's do the Kenyan thing. What do you do? <laughs> what do I do? I do many things. Sometimes it's, it's hard to put myself in um, one basket. I... Um, a peace champion. Okay. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm really passionate about peaceful coexistence mm-hmm. among human beings. Yeah. And I'm now championing for a lot of young people's um inclusion into decision making platforms to um to make sure that they live a peaceful life since they are the majority of the population. Okay. Yeah. And because this is your clearly the peace. Um, peace and security spaces where you're operating. So how do you describe peace? Peace for me is being in a state where you feel like you're able to become your best self. Mm-hmm. When you're self-aware and when you're able to make decisions that are not necessarily selfish, but inclusive and um Making sure that you're not necessarily just doing for you, you're doing for the person right next to you. It could be your family, it could be your neighbors, it could be your siblings. And 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 making sure at the end of the day you're also experiencing the 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 a state of mind that you're able to become your best self. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's an interesting answer. Okay. Let's take it back a bit. You said that you're born in Kisumu. Is that where you, you you're born in Mumia? Sorry, is that where? Would you say that's where you spent the most of your the bulk of your childhood? I was born in Nairobi. Okay. And I, I did not really have that lux, uh, the luxury of going to the village mm-hmm. uh, Mumia when I was young because. Um, of reasons best known to my parents. <laughs> it's actually now that I'm grown that I'm trying to start that relationship with my folks back in the village because I, it's it's a, it's it's something that I yearn for now. Just understanding my roots and knowing, I mean, where I come from. Interestingly, I am a Nabakolwe. Nabakolwe is one of the clans within the Wanga, uh, one of the sub. Um, sub-tribes of um, the whole Luya community. Um, community. And so I am from the royalty, but um, yeah, things just kind of fall apart at some point. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just trying to understand 
um, who my folks were, you know. Um, having been a descendant of a former king who collaborated with the British, what does that necessarily mean? Mm-hmm. Um, you go back home now and things are just haphazardly all over the place and, you know, there's just no order, at least, I mean. But, um, yeah, so just kind of trying to understand where I come from and who I am and, yeah. Okay. That That is why I'm actually very... It's you know when you're asked to tell people about yourself, I feel like there's no definite answer yeah. because you're still growing. I might be this person today, and then tomorrow I'm doing something else. Maybe I'll stop doing peace and start doing something yes. else. You know, yeah. so yeah. Okay. Um, what? Where did you go to school? What did you study? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to school in a small school called Duraro Primary okay. in uh, Ruruta Satellite. Mm-hmm. And then uh, moved. we moved to um, Narok and I went to another school called Talek Primary where I finished my class eight. Then I started off at uh, Maasai Girls in Narok. And then from Maasai Girls, I went to the U.S., mm-hmm. I finished my Form 4 in uh, Wisconsin, which is uh, one of the states, and um, in a small town called Sheboygan. Mm -hmm. And then came back to Kenya and went to USRU, where I did my degree in International Relations, Peace and Conflict Studies with a minor in journalism. Yeah. So would you say that... What would you say about your educational background sort of led you to the path that you're on right now? Hmm. Well, I have always been a curious kid, according to my mom. And I remember my mom loves sharing this story. Um, so there's this day where I was sent home for tuition money. And my mom, my mom has had this grocery store from since we were born. And so I literally went to the shop and took the coin box and took it to my teachers. Mm. <laughs> and so I got there and my teachers were just curious how I actually got that money because they only wanted 200 shillings, but I brought a whole box of coins. But my mom looks at it and says, that's just how I have been yearning to know things and to be informed and to help other people and to always be of service to, you know, one one person or the other. I have, funny enough, been a prefect in my entire um, school life. Okay. One of those teacher's pets, as people like to mention. Mm. Um, I was also a student leader um, in uh, campus. So I, I think it's, it's one of those things that just happened. I don't know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And what led you to take the degree that you took at USIU? It's actually a funny story. Okay. Um, coming back to Kenya after I finished my um, my high school in the US, mm-hmm. I wanted to do law because I was, I was all about, you know, justice and, and seeking justice for all these people who are really yearning, you know. And coming back with a high school diploma, it's it's not really something that is acceptable in the Kenyan system. So I remember going to um, Nairobi University and asking them for an admission. And they're telling me, oh, we're sorry with a high school diploma. 
it's not really acceptable here. So I started going to um, the Kenya National Examination Council to try and get an equivalent certificate. But it was, it was just a stressful time. And um, this was back in 2011, just to give it a context. Uh, maybe things have changed now and um, maybe people are finding it easier to get an equivalent certificate. So my dreams of becoming a lawyer were sort of halted because now I couldn't get admission. And then I decided to go to USIU and USIU did not even think twice. They just told me, yeah, sure, um, when do you want to start? And in 2012, um, September, I started my, my, um, my degree. And I think it was just literally alignment. Nature was just taking me home. Yeah, okay. I'd probably be miserable becoming a lawyer. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I, I am where I'm supposed to be now. I really enjoy what I'm doing now. And I think if I was a lawyer, it could have been quite restraining. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, what would you say, in, in terms of experiences in both high school and university, what would do you, is there anything you remember that you can say was a catalyst to what you're doing currently? Always loving to serve people. Okay. I, I love serving people. I love offering solutions. It just comes naturally for me. So I think it's it's one of those things that is innate. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's dig deep, like deeper into your current professional life, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. Tell us about that. What you you spoke about peace, the peace and security space, but if you could if you could become more detailed, so people know. Okay, so when I was doing my my undergraduate mm -hmm. in in peace and security, uh, peace and conflict, peace and security studies, it was really hard to get data on young people and and what young people were doing in the peace and security and in peace and conflict sphere. And if anything, the literature was pegged on young people as perpetrators of violence. And, and nobody was literally looking deeper into why these young people. And so coming off, it, it was just something that kept bugging me because I'm now thinking... If we're saying that the young people are the majority, but this is the picture that we want to paint of young people, then it's just awkward. And so I'm also wondering, what do we do about it? Mm -hmm. So um, there were no necessarily concrete policies at the international level to speak about youth engagement, not necessarily as perpetrators, but as agents of peace, because I see a lot of young people doing a lot of work. I mean, there's a lot of mobilization. There's a lot of art and music creation that young people are doing, but nobody's talking about that from a peace and security perspective. Um, young people are literally just seen as people who throw stones, who cause all these havocs during elections, who are always stealing but nobody was addressing why young people were doing this. And so I, f I, I finished my coursework in 2015. Mm -hmm. And again, fate, Resolution 2250, the UN Security, Security Council yeah, resolution, Re resolution yeah. 2250 is passed in 2015, yeah. December. Yeah. And so I'm coming out of uni with this huge urge to tell a different story of young people. Mm. 
And then there's this now resolution that I can refer to because, I mean, when you're doing international relations, you end up reading a lot about international systems, governments, um, how just people interact generally. And so finally there's this resolution and like most of us would know, when a resolution is passed, especially at an international level, it doesn't necessarily have specific frameworks of uh, localization or domestication. Yes. And so I'm thinking, this is an opportunity, Christine. You have the knowledge, um, find the right people, other youth organizations, and then see what to do. <laughs> and so that's just kind of how I started off. Then coming off, I start looking out for young people who are doing a lot of peace work. Thankfully, there's Facebook. And um, since I was exposed to the Globe, um, I had I, I got a scholarship mm-hmm. to finish... Um, rather, to do an exchange program in the U.S. And the program was pegged on taking uh, young people from a predominant Muslim population to the U.S. to help in understanding cultures because it was believed that a lot of people are in conflict because they do not understand other people, you know, because I do not understand why you like your tea brewed and not having a tea bag inside it, then, you know, so those small things that just make human beings just cause havoc sometimes. And so living in the U.S., I was exposed to all these people, I mean, different cultures, and I was actually the only black kid in my entire high school. So... Um, I was forced as at, at a tender age of 16, 17 to really get snap out of my comfort zone and, and really get to understand myself and the people around me. And so coming back then and, and now, you know, we have a resolution. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reach out to people and ask them, hey, um, what are you doing in Malaysia? What are you doing in Cameroon? What are you doing in Nigeria? And can we find a way to come together and um, start a new thing. Because honestly, it was not something that we could learn or ask for someone. It was it was never done before. So it's sort of creating something that has not been seen before. And it, it came with a lot of naivety. And people, because they don't understand what we're trying to do, people don't give you a listening ear. And when I say people, I mean governments and all these policymakers, you know? So then that sort of advised my professional life, just trying to make sure that we have strategies and structures to uh, not see young people as perpetrators, but as agents of peace. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that leads me to my next question. Speak, um, expound more on 2250. Okay. For people for people who might listen to this podcast and don't have an idea on that UN security resolution. Council so, resolution, sorry. Okay. The UN resolution, um Security Council Resolution twenty two fifty, we yes. call it UNACR twenty two fifty, is the first policy that literally helps people know how to engage with young people, especially from a peace and security perspective. The resolution is pegged on five pillars. One, participation. So we are agitating for um, young people to participate at all levels. I mean, not only in... uh, you know, our communities, but also in decision-making platforms. The second one is prevention. Young people need to be prevented from all these atrocities that um, are happening. And again, 
because a lot of young people are seen as perpetrators, it's, it's easy to be lured into it because that's the narrative you've been sold at. But how can these young people be uh, uh, prevented from all those atrocities that are happening around the globe? Um, the third one on uh, protection. Participation and protection goes together. I mean, we've seen a lot of young people being clobbered. You know, police brutality has been like the order of the day. But how then do we make sure that they are protected? You know, do we have laws that safeguard these young people? And what does protection look like, say, in Kenya as opposed to a country like Bangladesh? <laughs> you know, so really getting into contextualizing what protection looks like in your own um, in your own jurisdictions. The fourth one is on, I've said, participation, prevention, protection, um, dis, dis, disarmament, and reintegration. Yes. We're talking about um, having young people, um, sorry, disengagement and reintegration. So disengagement from all this, um, terror organization, yes. radicalization, yeah, radicalized and then any form of violence. Yes. yes, and then being reintegrated back to the community because some of us were probably lured to that because we didn't have any other options to choose from. But then, when we decide that we want to come back, are there procedures and what should be done to make sure that the process is um is 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 fluid and we're able not to be seen as problematic people but people who had faulted yes. and now they want to come back to the community and the last one is on partnership you know young people need to be seen as equal partners yes. at all levels you know it's not the fact that you create programs and then you have young people to participate no young people being co-designers being co-creators and co-developers of all these projects that yeah. are supposed to cater for young people and um they they're also seen as stakeholders when it comes to creating uh, policies and decision making platforms so it's it's not only a government um, led policy, but it, it 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 also speaks on how we should engage as as young people as well. Okay. Yeah. Um. And in your your current role, from my understanding, you work now with the Commonwealth Youth Peace Network. Yeah. Please speak about that and what you do and how you've been guiding young people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the Commonwealth Youth Peace Ambassadors Network is a network of young people, pretty much, um, who. Uh, from the grassroots, national, regional, and um, continental level, pan-commonwealth. Yes. And what we do is we upskill, you know, all these efforts to create policies that speak truth to what we're experiencing as young people. So as, as, as a network, the beauty is we bring a diverse understanding of all the issues that affect us. The commonwealth is in five regions. It's in Africa, um, Asia... Pacific, um, Caribbean, Europe, and Canada. And so when you bring all these experiences of young people together, we are able to champion for policies that speak truth to what we are experiencing. And at the Commonwealth level, we've been able to really push for Resolution 2250. Yes. In 2018, we, re uh, we really lobbied for the heads of government um, in London during the Commonwealth Heads of Government's meeting to adopt the resolution, which was unanimously adopted by the okay. Heads of Government. Yes. And so now we have actually been um, 
looking at how to do domestication and, and create frameworks okay. within these Commonwealth countries um, to enable that. And what does domestication domestication and ad adoption of 2250 in Kenya look like currently? We've, we've made a, a lot of good progress in Kenya. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So we recently just had the Kenya uh, Youth Development Policy um, have some elements of Resolution 2250 in mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And um, Kenya has made a lot of strides in making sure that a lot of young people get to understand what the resolution speaks about so that they are also able to ask and, 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 and be incorporated in all matters decision-making yeah. in, in Kenya. And um, with the freedom of speech, we see a lot of youth participation. We've seen a lot of young people being elected into um, government. Uh, we've seen a lot of um, youth inclusion in pretty much everything that's happening within the country. And um, our president, uh, uh, President Uhuru Kenyatta, has been able to really champion youth engagement. And, and that is something that we're really proud of. Um, he is talking, he is walking the talk and, and leading by example. I mean, he's also the UN um, youth champion. Mm -hmm. And so we've seen a lot of good stride. And, and, and I mean, around the globe, people are really um, echoing what Kenya is doing. And we hope that we are able to not only feel proud of what we are doing, but make sure that it's sustainable and yeah. it helps everyone, including the young person in the village. Okay. Yeah. Um, you talked about five regions that the Commonwealth is in and in your current role, I would say you work with youth from all those places. Yes. What are some of the challenges that you have found are unique to those regions and how are you handling them as a leader, leading a team that is global? Um, leading a team that's global brings this diversity that is just out of this world. You know, you, you tend to, every day is different because, you know, um, like some challenges are similar. I mean, we are all still experiencing a lot of violence of ex exclusion, as the Missing Peace Report um, suggests. However, you see a country like the Pacific really getting issues of climate change and mm. Um, how do you then start addressing that and making sure that people are, are, are not limited because they're not living in a Pacific region? And so how then do we raise awareness for people who might not be feeling the, the exact pressure on yes. climate change, you know? And so one of the challenges is making sure that you really grasp the vitalness of all these issues and give them the seriousness that it deserves. Because most of the time we end up being socked up into the, into the whole noise and then we forget the real issues. And so sometimes it's, it's one thing to really just talk about climate change. But what does it really mean yes. from the, the smallest level, yes. you know, um, when people have to relocate and they don't know where they're going, when they're leaving their original ancestral home to a different place, what does that really mean? You know, we speak about indigenous people. What, what does that mean in a contemporary society? You know, when we're speaking about violence of exclusion, exclusion is also very different for if you're living in the towns or the rural areas. So how then are we able to inclusively tap into everyone's needs? Mm. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
Um, 2020 came with an interesting or rather very unique challenge, which is COVID-19. Right. And it shut down the whole world, right? Mm-hmm. And there's many young people who felt the effects of COVID-19 in different ways from violence, multifaceted mm-hmm. violence, to either already they were dealing with unemployment and underemployment and now the world was shutting down. What are some of the challenges that you started receiving from, you know, like all the little, the, the caucuses of the organization uh-huh. around the world in relation to young people and COVID-19? You know, funny enough, uh, the one thing that COVID-19 really brought to our limelight is the problem is not unemployment. Mm. The problem is unemployability. Okay. Because... In the wake of COVID-19, we saw a lot of young people coming out in large numbers to help. Young people were in the front line to volunteer and make sure that people with disabilities could move around very well, even with, you know, the World Health Organization um, measure, uh, safety measures to, you know, um, keep social distancing and, and, and the other um, measures. We saw a lot of young people coming out to even make masks and donate masks. We saw a lot of young people come out and making homemade sanitizers. Who'd ever thought? So it's it's not necessarily about unemployment. A lot of young people were uh, creating jobs for themselves and they were earning an income. And then COVID-19 came and they could not be out there. So there was no income generating activities, you know? So... COVID-19 really showed that the problem is not employment. So employability in this case should be having the right skills to tap into a particular market. Okay. And, and I think that is what a lot of young people are lacking because then when you go to an interview and you do not, you do not have the particular skill set for that particular job, then you're seen as incompetent. Yeah. But you have skill sets for other things. But sadly, is sometimes. I mean, I'll give you a, a good example. I coming out from a uh, from a, uh, with a degree in peace and security studies. Who employs you with a degree in peace and security studies? <laughs> you know, do we ever ask ourselves that? But now everybody wants to do peace work. But then you come out here, and which organization is going to employ you because you're doing peace work? Unless probably you're going to peacekeeping and you become a military. But how many military personnel are we going to have if all of us become military? So we also need to make sure that the courses that we learn, we also create sort of job markets for that particular niche. So on the challenges that we started experiencing, the challenges were, one, everybody was told to stay at home. So you are not... A lot of young people call it hustling. You do not get opportunities to go and hustle. And then as a young person, most of us have families we literally take care of. Most of us have needs that only us know how they are met. Coming from, you know, an African um, background, the black tax is real. Mm-hmm. You start earning some money, your mom wants a share of that. Your siblings want a share of that. Your community, your aunt calls you from nowhere. And because we are so communal, sometimes you find yourself um, being told to, you know, contribute for a funeral, contribute for a sick person, contribute for all these other issues that are coming out. Now that people are even staying at home, it became even worse, you know. Um, A country like Asia, with all those people, you tell them to stay at home, 
It's almost impossible because even in this home, you get a home where people live like 10 people in like two rooms. So even if you tell them to social distance, it's crazy. How our houses are built is, is also another problem that we're not talking about. Because if you social distance, but your doors are almost really so close to each other, then it's... It's just hard. So we, we've experienced a lot of structural challenges. You know, for the youth who are staying in the slums, the, the housing, the sanitation is just a burden. So how then do you start addressing all these things from a structural perspective? Yeah. Okay. Um, the theme this year for International Women's Day mm -hmm. is Choose to Challenge right? There's the Choose to Challenge theme and then there's also women in leadership mm -hmm. achieving an equal future yep. in a COVID-19 world. So let's start with choosing to challenge. What would you say are some of the barriers that you have specifically chosen to challenge um, personally mm -hmm. and also in your in your current role? The, the one thing for me is don't look at me as a woman. Look at me as a leader. I just happen to be a woman, but I am able to make some decisions, you know, I am able to lead. Because most of the time, it's, it becomes such a hindrance because once you start to speak up, people start looking at how you're dressed. You know, the, the, the kind of hair you're wearing, is it kept? Is it unkept? Um, and so you, there are all these barriers that a woman faces just by virtue that you are even running for a leadership um, position. Because ideally, I don't think people are prepared for women leadership, but look at what is happening now. And so there's, there's just a lot of a paradigm shift that we need to start having in accepting that women can actually take role. Because women are, are literally good managers. You know, I mean, look, look, look at how... Our women have been able to raise families in the past with no education. And um, I am not an advocate for toxic feminism because, again, even in peace and security, we've seen a lot of young um, women being used as brides, being used as perpetrators of violence. So I'm not saying that women um, do not have their bad side. But those who are really trying to change the status quo, they should be celebrated equally. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would you? What does an equal future look for you? Um, sustainable Development Goals. We talk about gender equality, SDG five, reduced right. inequalities, SDG ten. Mm -hmm. We talk about peace, peace, justice, and strong institutions. What does an equal future look like for you? An equal future for me looks like, one, having opportunities that are not necessarily... You see, don't vote someone in because they are women. No, vote in somebody because they can bring the changes that you're looking for. And sometimes that face will be a woman's face. Looking at access to everything... All the rights, all... I mean, if you're talking about healthcare, if you're talking about employability, if you're talking about um, how homes are set up, you know? Um, we've seen a lot of women who are now running their household, not because they want to, but because their husband is disadvantaged one in one form or another. And so as a woman, you're forced to then take up the role. 
that does not make men any weaker. It's just faces in life, you know? So equality in complementarity. You know, how am I supposed to step up and 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 make sure that I complement where you're weak and you're also able to complement where I am weak? Um equality in the sense that I do not necessarily need to have a woman in the room to have women issues raised or discussed. Are we able to also speak about men issues in a room full of women and not it's not gossip. It's it's actually tangible men um, challenges. We've seen a lot of male uh, being um, gender, uh, gender have experiencing gender based violence. Yes. You know, it's not just women. women. Men are also experiencing the same. Are we able to talk about it from a woman's perspective and see how then we're going to help this man? So it's not necessarily just having women agitating for women issues, but no, inclusively, let's have also men talking about women issues and women um, doing the same. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would you say? And what would you say with the young people that you work with? Because you work with many young people across the globe. Mm-hmm. What does an equal future? sound and look and feel like to them what do they, what what are some of the things that they tell you as a young person we all want to be global citizens okay i want to be able to travel to the caribbean to be in jamaica with no visa I, I want to be able to go and connect with my friends in the uk and go shop at oxford street without thinking of you know having to pay all this crazy amounts of money just to get the visa and the process is just tiresome you know you want equal opportunities you want to feel free to go work in a country say like japan because of the technology vast um population and to see how competent you can be so a lot of young people are just literally looking at how to tap into their talents in an in an environment that appreciates them in an environment that is um, encouraging of what they are. You know, we've seen a lot of young people come out and become really good artists. You know, nowadays, a footballer earns more than a doctor. Can you imagine? So how then are we able to make sure that we create a Manchester in uh, in a country like um, Jamaica, in a country like Trinidad and Tobago, mm-hmm. You know, how are we able to also make sure that the music industry within Jamaica and and the hype and the reggae is also felt in Asia, you know, in a country like Jakarta? Are we we able to, as young people, get to interact with people who understand our niche, who are able to support and champion who we are? Because sometimes the environment really impacts on you as a person. And, and that is what young people are looking for, just opportunities to make sure that they maximize on their potential. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, before we wrap up, I will ask one last question. Mm-hmm. Um, with the pandemic, yep. there's so many things that have come up. Um, they keep talking about like pandemics within pandemics, shadow pandemics, right? What what would you say, what would you say that governments mm-hmm. should do Mm-hmm. Right to put to ensure that the needs of of we'll speak about young people because that's the role that you play in terms right. of leadership with young people. What should governments do to ensure that the needs of young people are being catered mm-hmm. to? Um, 
you know, sometimes we speak to governments as this body of people who we don't know how they got there. But governance is is all of us. You know, we put them, they, they are literally like our representatives. So at the end of the day, it's for making sure that we as 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 the citizens first take the personal responsibility to put them to account of what they promised to deliver because that is how we chose them to be our, our representatives. So first, I'd, I'd want for us to look at it from a personal responsibility. Are we able to make sure that we put them to account of what they promised to deliver? And then for our leaders is to literally be truth to um, all these votes that put you into that position and then coming back and making sure that you're able to deliver on your promises. You're able to uh, do that which is important to the people and not necessarily for selfish gains, as we've seen with a lot of people. Um, we need stronger institutions that are able to, uh, to to champion for all these issues because some of these issues, we've had them since time immemorial, but we still keep choosing leaders who we don't necessarily take time to put them to account. So it, it needs a lot of accountability and adherence to the rule of law and making sure that at the end of the day, it's not a selfish governance. It's a governance that is inclusive of, of all people. And, and in this case, a lot of young people, since we are the majority and we vote these people in because we have the numbers, then it's about time we start asking ourselves the hard questions and really look into who we are giving our votes because that's our power and that is how we are also able to advise our governance. So it starts with us as citizens, as young people, and then making sure that the people we, we put to represent us are able to, uh, be, to be accountable to what they say they should do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that answer. <laughs> that's an interesting one. Um, what advice would you give your younger self? My younger self, I'd say there's no limit. There's no limit. Um, and I like this book. I am a big fan of John Maxwell's books on leadership. And I particularly love the book he wrote. Um, the book is called No Limits. So this book talks about our capacity as, as people and... Sometimes we cocoon ourselves into this high capacity and low capacity. And it really limits us from achieving what we think we can achieve. And then you grow up and you realize there are really no limits. You can come from a disadvantaged background. You can come from a background of not even knowing where you're supposed to go. But are you self-aware enough to make sure that you're able to live your fullest potential because most of us um most of us come from underprivileged backgrounds um poverty has become the order of the day and um we we find ourselves in this cocoon where we just limit ourselves because of the circumstances around us but you want, one thing you come to realize is once you start pushing into that faith that you have in becoming the best of yourself things start to happen things start to happen so i'll tell my younger self never limit yourself okay never limit yourself don't limit yourself yeah yeah i hope any, anyone who's listening to this will will have that as their mantra favorite food 
Favorite food? Um, I'll have to go for chapati. Okay. Chapati and there's this thing in Luya we call them kenye. Kenye is sweet potatoes and beans and then you mash them together. Okay. Oh, with some nice stew. Okay. Mm, so yeah. chapati om kenye, which yes. is, okay, sweet potatoes and beans mashed with stew. Yeah. Um, favorite song or book? Favorite song... I'm still discovering, um, okay. but I particularly like... Um, Doesn't have to be one song, by the way. <laughs> I particularly like um, the bongo genre, because okay. I feel like it, it really speaks about issues um, in a very nice, romanticized way that sometimes you, you find yourself absorbed into the music and then you start listening to the lyrics and it hits you. And I think, like many other music, there's that hidden meaning in a lot of the music that we listen to. Yeah, but for now, I, I really like, enjoy bongo. Okay. Yeah. Um, favorite way to unwind or decompress? Long hikes and just being in a sort of forest, somewhere where there's trees. Yeah. Okay. Um, my last, last question. If you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? That's a tough one. If I could change, I think I could change our mentalities. I could change how we we perceive things because we have been bound by a lot of perceptions that are not even informed. So if we start changing that aspect, and, and you see that goes down to understanding who we are as human beings, really getting to understand at the core of who each and everyone um, is, we'll, we'll be able to, you know, make peace with ourselves and just, the, you know, because at the end of the day, uh, some things we experience are literally, they have always been there. But then how do you make peace with some of these things and, and disassociate them with people and just see them as events? So really... Um, just finding ways to change our perceptions about life and being truth to who we are as, as a human being. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time and for speaking with us. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. For I really appreciate me. it. And I hope that anyone who listens will, will be inspired to not see limits, to change their perception, to take up leadership and to understand, you know, mm -hmm. that... That it's the world is the world is the way it is, but things can change. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Have an awesome day. Thank you so much. Cool. Bye. Hope you enjoyed that. Same time, same place, same host, different guest.